Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads, everybody. My name is Connor Lamans, and I'm joined by Justin Goble for episode 58 of Land Grant Holyland's College Basketball Podcast. Following the CBS Sports Classic, the Buckeyes faced off against the North Carolina Tar Heels this past weekend, and despite leading by 11 points with, with six minutes remaining, um, the Buckeyes did fall to unranked North Carolina. I don't know if they are now ranked North Carolina or not. They might be. Um, they fell to the Tar Heels 89-84 in overtime at MSG this weekend. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to swallow. I think I, I think it's 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 a weird uh, dynamic. And also, to answer your question, they are not ranked in North Carolina. Uh, they are, I think, they jumped right ahead of Ohio State. They are 29th. Ohio State is 30th. Um, yeah. So, okay. um, anyway, it's one of those things because it's like if you were to ask me preseason, right? Hey, Justin, it's October 15th. Let's fast forward to December 20th. Ohio State 7 and 3. The only losses were to Duke, San Diego State, and North Carolina. How do you feel? I'd say perfect. That's great. It's fantastic. Good non conference. Didn't drop any dumb ones. Obviously, it's assuming they beat Maine and Alabama AM. Uh, Maine's a good team, by the way. We kind of shit on Maine all the time. Maine's a decent team. They should still beat them. I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm just saying Maine's a decent team. But anyway, assuming they win those games, um, you know, they didn't drop any dumb non-conference games. They beat Texas Tech, you know, good. But that North Carolina loss does kind of leave that kind of bad taste in your mouth because it was a game that I don't want to say they had it won because, and I talked about on the when we previewed North Carolina, North Carolina goes on those runs, and they're going to smack you in the mouth at some point. They just kind of decided to do it in the last six minutes in this one. But um, it's tough because it felt like they really controlled that game. They played really well. The first half was phenomenal outside of like a three-minute stretch. Um, they even answered, you know, UNC started the second half, I believe, on a 10-1 to run or something of that nature, and Ohio State answered right back. It was kind of like the Duke and San Diego State games just flipped. You know, Ohio State got down early, and then, they kept cutting it to like two or three or four, but they can never just get over the hump. That's how it was at first in this game. Ohio State was up, and then obviously North Carolina came back at the end. But, you know, it's games. I know people are sick of hearing it, but it's games that a young team will learn from. They made a lot of young team mistakes in this game. And, um, you know, you got to be 10-3 and going to Purdue now, or with Purdue coming to Value City Arena, in my opinion. You have to you, you to win those three games. That would be very important. I, I, I didn't get to watch it live, but I did – I was able to go back and watch like the condensed game. So I didn't get to see like every little bit of action, but I pretty much saw like um, the condensed games more or less. They just like speed up and show you like every shot basically. Um, And it did look to me like Ohio state had a little bit of trouble with Baycott probably because of the attention. They also had to pay attention to Pete Nance, even though Pete Nance only finished with what did he finish with like 11 points? Um, I have the, the box up here. He finished with, sorry, eight points on four of 11 shooting. He also had 10 rebounds and a block, um, two assists. So overall, Pete Nance, he had a good game. He wasn't elite. He had a pretty important shot at the end. But uh, it looked to me like because they had multiple seven-footers, um, that gave Baycott a little bit more space. Um, that's not normal, though. That's not like a thing of, you know, Ohio State is just way too small. I don't know if there's another team in the country or very few 
that have two seven footers at the talent level of Pete Nance and Armando Baycott who are playing at the same time, almost all the time. It's like, it's like when Purdue had Trayvon Williams and um, Zach Eady, they, they couldn't play together. They're both were seven footers pretty much, but they, they couldn't operate. Pete Nance is a different kind of seven footer, but he's still seven feet tall. So you, they pay a lot of attention to Pete Nance, which let Baycott really uh, leak free in the second half and overtime which, you know, it's a tough one. North Carolina is a very, very, very good team. I, I don't think that they lost a few games, but I think that you agree with me. They're a very good team. They could win the ACC. They could make the Final Four. They could win the national championship. They're, they're a very, very good team. Yeah, I think their floor is fourth in the ACC and probably a seven or eight seed. Honestly, I don't, I don't think just because, like, <clears throat> you know, you might be talking about the bubble now with them, but the ACC is, is not good. They're going to have some very easy wins in that conference with Louisville, with Florida State, with you know Boston College, those kinds of games. Um, you know, I think the top two are set in Virginia and Duke. I think Virginia Tech, Miami, and North Carolina are all kind of fighting for that three to five slot. So th- this isn't going to be a game. like you're not going to look back on this game and go, "Well, oh, they lost to North Carolina." Like it's still a very good North Carolina team. Still, a North Carolina team that when they figure it out, they can they can beat anybody in the country. Honestly, yeah, um, I think they they could win the ACC. Yeah, I, I do too. Absolutely, I think their ceiling is definitely winning the ACC. I think their floor is probably fourth or fifth. So yeah, and that puts them in the that puts them in the tournament no matter what. So they're they're fine. Um, I think this is another game like the Duke game, where as the season goes on, this this game will look better and better. Um, again and again, these are all moral victories. Like they didn't win the game, and that sucks. <laughs> um, but it, it when you look at, I, I think there was a lot of people that kind of forgot how good this North Carolina team can be. Even when Caleb Love's struggling or RJ Davis is struggling or whatever the case may be, you can't just give all your attention to Baycott because those guys can hit any shot at any given moment. Like Caleb Love was struggling like all game, then he walked up and hit two huge threes. It's just what he does. He's he's a gunslinger. He's going to shoot the ball. I mean, he shot thirty six shots in a game. He's fearless. Um, you know, so and, and Armando Baycott, you know, people gave Zed Key a lot of shit. Whatever. If you truly believe Zed Key doesn't provide any any purpose on the floor. I don't really know what to tell you. He literally are like our minds are so qu- What's, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, you don't look for your reasons. He buys. It, it's nuts. Oh, okay. How the Reese buys. I mean, is that key literally won them the game against Rutgers? If he doesn't have 22 points and 14 rebounds, they lose that game. Um, so, you know, and that was against Cliff Amore. Don't get me wrong. Cliff Amore is a very good player. He didn't go to He didn't take some terrible center to school. Like Cliff Amore is a good player. So I don't understand. It's like, yeah, Armando Baycott, he struggled with him. Baycott's a top three center in the country, right? It's probably him, Zach Eady, and Oscar Shibway in some sort of order. Is he ACC player of the year? Uh, not player of the year, but preseason player of the year, ACC? Yeah, and he, he was player of the year last year too, wasn't he, of ACC? I don't know if he was last year or not. I just I, I think that he maybe was Paolo, preseason maybe, player of the year. Maybe, maybe Piala won that. I actually forget. But nevertheless. We'll, we'll have our R&D team check that out. Keep talking. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting my, my, my guys around it. Um, sources are trying to confirm, um, but yeah, I, like Romano, but he averaged twenty one and thirteen last year. Like he's he had twenty eight and fifteen in this game. Add five minutes to it, yeah, I, I would expect him to have that kind of game, right? That's not why they lost. Romano Baker can have thirty and fifteen. They lose games. It's just what it is. Um, you know, they they lost because UNC made more plays down the stretch. That's all it is. That's all it comes down to at the end of the day. The free throws were obviously a big thing. I mean, anytime a team makes what thirteen more free throws than you. That's a problem. 
I do think the officiating was incredibly sketchy down the stretch. I don't think it's the reason they lost. I think it's a reason they lost. Uh, not the reason, a reason. And I think, you know, we'll get into it. I got into it with people on Twitter and stuff because I can't keep my mouth shut. But, um, you know, the Holtman decision to not put somebody on the ball, it could even be a reason they lost. It's not the reason. There's so many things that happen throughout games. I I mean, just you could look back and, and Adam Jardy brought this up and he, I, I like the way he said it. Like Bryce Sensbaugh bought an amazing game, but he made a he made a very big freshman mistake in the first half. He had a fast break. I think he had Justice Suing or somebody running next to him. And he tried to go behind the back with the ball, but it took him a little bit longer, and that gave Leaky Black a chance to catch up and intercept it. They went back the other way. That's two points right there. It game went to overtime, right? They that, if they just get that that basket, maybe they win the game regulation. Like so many different things happen throughout a game that are you can't point to one reason they lost, right? You're always going to try to point to the we're Ohio, as Ohio State fans, it's kind of crazy to say that because just nine days ago, we're trying to tell Rutgers fans, well, you know, if you would have made your free throws or if you would have done this, 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 and that, then it wouldn't have mattered about the Tanner Holden game winner. But now we're we're going from that and we're looking at one play for the UNC game and we're saying that lost us the game. Well, you can't have both of those things. Like it, so many things happen throughout a game that are the reason why you might have lost or won, right? It's 45 minutes, 45. This game was 45 minutes long with overtime. I, I just, you know, it's, it gets a little weird when we start getting to those kind of weeds of what's spe- like specific plays, like so many things happen throughout games. And um, UNC is a very, very good team. I think people are kind of forgetting that because they're, they're struggling a little bit, but I fully expect this team to be very dangerous. Go March again. Um, I got in touch with our R and D people, by the way. And I was told that, um, Alondis Williams of uh, Wake Forest was the ACC Player of the Year last year, and the preseason ACC Player of the Year this season was Armando Baycott. So uh, the expectations for Armando Baycott this season were absolutely sky high. Um, he apparently has been a little banged up, but he is um, an elite player in every sense of the word, word, a much better basketball player than Zed Key. No offense to Zed Key, who is a very good basketball player, but he is not on Armando Baycott's level. Um I don't know if that's mean or rude to say, but they're just they're just in two different tiers of college basketball player. No, hundred percent. Armando Baycott at his best is a first team All American. Zed Key at his best yeah. is not a first team All American. He's unbelievable, and, and he didn't even score for the first. He didn't score for the first what like thirteen minutes of the game or something, which was absurd. But um, that that inbounds play, I would say you could you could really get into that for you could you could pick that apart in a billion different ways, and I, I can see. I can see what what Holtman is saying. I I also I disagree with him. So that and that's something that I think that fans want. I think fans want the media and Justin, you and I talk about this a little bit. I think fans want the media to push back against coaches more. Ryan Day and Holtman, like they don't want you just to get the answer. They want you to argue with them and say like, well, why didn't you do this? I, I think it's 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 understandable of what he did. I understand the logic. I I personally disagree with the the choice he made. However, I'm not a basketball coach. I've never been a Big Ten coach of the year. I don't make millions of dollars. I could be wrong. Um, in my opinion, basically what Holtman is saying, I'll say what he was saying first, and you already know. People probably already know. W- when you're up two, what Holtman is was saying is. With Leaky Black inbounding the ball full court, he's six foot ten or six nine. People forget, my God, Leaky Black was would be Ohio State's tallest player too. 
he's saying if you put somebody on Leaky Black, Felix Agpara, I'm pretty sure, was already fouled out at this point, correct? Because you sorry, watched. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like eating. Um, <laughs> no. So this Priorities. is where – this is the one thing I do disagree with Holtman on. Was, like, was Agpara fouled out at this point or no? No. No. Agpara fouled out in overtime. I actually okay. thought – this is where I got in a little bit of the weeds on Twitter at, right away. I actually thought Agpara was fouled out. CBS made a little mistake on their graphic because they showed him having four fouls and then he committed another one. And Holtman immediately pulled him. So I was like, oh, he just fouled out. That was actually his fourth foul. So I agree. I would have had Akpara in the game at that point, but I wouldn't have had him on the ball, if that makes sense. Because what Holtman basically said was, I don't believe – For the second play, I should say. For the second play, I should say. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So this is is the inbound where they brought it up to half court. He essentially said, I don't believe that putting anybody on the ball – on a 6'9", 6'10", inbounder, I don't think that's really going to help us because that is then going to put four on four at the other end. And if they can complete a pass down there, they're going to catch the ball and they would actually have two seconds once they touch it to make a play. I mean, if he can get the pass down to half court, potentially make a make even a layup. Two seconds is so much time. He's saying, I would rather have the fifth defender almost like a free safety at the other end um, to prevent them from being able to complete that pass. I, I disagree. I disagree. I would rather put literally anybody on the ball and then maybe force Leaky Black to make that pass short of the half-court line. Make somebody come back for Carolina and catch that pass a lot closer, and then maybe they get like two dribbles and a half-quarter for the win, and that's their shot. So I disagree. I understand what he's saying, and they asked him basically like, is this was this a this situation thing with just how tall Leaky Black was, and it was kind of like fouling up, fouling when you're up uh, up three. He just said no. In this situation, we practice this all the time. This is our philosophy. This is this is what we will always do. Yep. So you can disagree with that, it, but it, it's not like a a situation of in this situation we're doing that. He's like he's like this is what I believe to be the most effective thing. If we run this play a million times, I think that this is going to be the most effective. Uh, choice. Maybe it wasn't this time, but I think it's going to be the best move for our team more times than not. I disagree. You're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to criticize, but what the media is not going to do is sit there when he says, this is what we do, have the media punch back and say, you know, respectfully, you're wrong. Like that's, that's not what, that's yeah, well, not guess what, what you idiot. <laughs> right. So you can totally disagree and say, I think that your philosophy is incorrect and that that's totally fair. And I, I disagree. But I can see where he's coming from, having like a, a fifth shadow guy there. I just think you need to try to make North Carolina touch the ball, start the clock closer to like way closer than that. But, that, you know, that's yeah. not – and also Pete Nance's shot. Pete Nance's shot to win the game is like a, a, a 10% probably success oh, rate on that shot. Are you it, kidding? Like, it is – so I have, I have three thoughts. I'll start on the inbounds pass because um, – I, I would probably put somebody on the ball. I actually reached out to a friend of mine who was on Kent State's excuse me, Kent State's coaching staff for the past couple of years. He's currently a high school basketball coach. And he was telling me that he has a dip so like for example, it's just philosophy. Right? So like Rob Senderoff is Kent State's head basketball coach. He always goes on ball there. Always, no matter what the situation, he's on ball. The thing that's gonna piss off Ohio State fans is this is Holman's philosophy. Guess what? Next time this happens, he's not gonna have somebody on the ball. Because that's just his philosophy. It's what he believes. It's like fouling up three. It's just that's how they practice it. That's what they're going to do. Um, now, you can adapt to that. But more than likely, that's just what he's – that's his philosophy. But uh, the, the coach I reached out to, he made a good point. He said, 
in that specific circumstance, he doesn't think it would have made much of a difference because no matter where they would have caught the ball, they would have just called that quick timeout. Now, if you can bring them a little closer and make them inbound the ball at the 3-4 spot, then the half-court mark, maybe it's harder with the Pete Nance thing. I don't I don't know. The, the Pete Nance thing is interesting because I have absolutely zero problem with the way they played the second pass. Absolutely zero. What Justice Suing is doing there for people that – and I'm – if you listen to this podcast, like I've got a good gauge of who listens to what to us. I think you pretty much know what Justice Suing's there, but I'm gonna break it down real quick anyway. What Justice Suing there, when he turns his back to Leaky Black, is doing, he is shadowing RJ Davis and Caleb Love. That's it. He's making sure they don't come off some kind of high ball screen and especially get open. Love. Especially Love, because you know Caleb Love wants that ball. My God, does Caleb Love want that ball in that situation? Uh, he good, shot the ball 36 not times. You. Not to interrupt you, but our I'm sorry, this this is really funny. Our good friend Tate Frazier, friend of the pod, Tate Frazier. Um, I was listening to him and Titus earlier, and Tate said he literally said on that play, he said every single North Carolina fan in that arena was convinced. He's like, this is one million percent going to be a Caleb Love half court shot because that is the player yeah. that Caleb Love is. I was too, but and carry on. But was too. Yes. So carry on. So what you're doing is you are taking away that th- you're taking away the game winning shot, right? You are up by two. Your Armando Baycott has absolutely no game outside of going up with the ball. So he's not going to do what Pete Nance did, right? So you're pretty confident that unless they throw kind of an oop kind of pass, whatever, Armando Baycott's probably not getting the ball. So now you have RJ Davis and Gabe Love coming off a high ball screen, maybe coming off two, right? Getting the ball and putting they can hit a three from anywhere on the floor. Anywhere. They can also miss a three from anywhere on the floor, but they can hit a three from anywhere on the floor. So what Justice Suing is doing, he is watching the play unfold in front of him. And if somebody's coming up to take that pass, kind of like Mario Chalmers, uh, the Kansas shot, if you the Mario's miracle, if you remember it, kind of similar to that, except that wasn't inbounds play, but a similar pass when they're coming off a ball screen and getting open. That Justice Suing is going to step up and contest that shot. I'm like literally in my apartment putting my hand up like I'm doing it, but um, he's literally going to contest that shot to make it either two people on him or if whoever is, say, Bruce Thornton's trying to chase him off, he gets hit. Now Justice Suing is the help defender there. That's what they're doing. And you are going to take that Pete Nance shot 10 out of 10 times. He just made it, right? He just made a great basketball play. Sometimes great offense beats great defense. They played great defense in that situation. Sends the ball was on him. Sends the ball as a hand up. All good. Pete Nance just made the shot over him. Now, it, can you get into the weeds of, ah, I kind of want our par down there in that situation? Maybe. But it depends on how you practice it. depends on who you trust. Can Akpar come out and guard that? I don't know, right? That's just sensible in that situation. So it was sensible. Well, the other thing is, that's the other thing is, okay, so do you want potentially, do you want Zed Key and Akpara both in the game on that possession? Because I don't think that they've played at the same time at all this season. I don't they think they have. And also, happened. also Akpara had some pretty bad fouls in that game. What if Akpara doesn't let him land, right? He, he closed out too hard. And all of a sudden, you've already watched him have a couple bad exactly. fouls. Well, now he I'm picks saying. up a foul. You, it's a three-point play. Game's over. You know, so there's so right. many things that come into this that people don't take into account. Because, like you said, Baycott has no respectfully. Baycott has like no game outside the paint. He's an absolute wizard. His footwork is impeccable. He's a great player below the, below the basket. He has nothing outside of the basket. So they basically, since they're they're inbounding it from basically the end of the North Carolina bench, close to the scorers table, Holtman had Zed Key kind of near the free throw line ish a little bit closer to the basket because that's basically gonna that's gonna basically remove Baycott from the play he's saying if you try to throw a lob to Baycott Zed is going to be there to tip that away so do you then do you want Felix 
in Zed spot? Because what you're saying is, oh, I want Felix on the Pete Nance shot. Okay, so if you want Felix on Nance, does that mean you want Felix and Zed both in the game? Or do you want Zed out and a shorter guy on Baycott? It's like, that. that's really nitpicking to say we need Felix in that spot, hypothetically. The, the problem you're removing, is, you're removing the center from the play completely. Right, and the issue with all of it just comes down to, like you said, Pete Nance makes that shot one out of ten times. If he just misses it, we're not having any of this talk. We're probably actually crediting Holtman with the way he defended that specific play because they didn't get a three off and they got the ball in the hands of the person you want to have. of Outside of Leaky Black, who's inbounding the ball, Pete Nance is the one person I want to have that ball. I don't want Baycott to have it because that means he probably got an oop. I don't want RJ Davis or Caleb Love to have it because they can end the game. Right, I want Pete Nance to take that shot. He just made it. Sometimes great offense just beats great defense, and I think that's where yeah. people just get into the weeds. And here's my issue with it, and this is what I was trying to get across on Twitter. If you just watch, and this is probably my fault, you probably think I agree with what Holman did. I actually don't. Like I said, I would have put somebody on the ball on the first inbounds. Right? I didn't think they had enough time in my defense to take the time out there. That was a ballsy move by Hubert Davis. That's a three or four second on the clock kind of thing, not two. You can question only .8 coming off the clock there, but you know there's a human running that, whatever. It's whatever. Um, but I would have put somebody on the ball. The problem is with me is you have people objectively saying that lost them the game. You can't objectively say if you would put somebody on the ball that it would be any type of a difference. You can't. You don't. You have no. They could have just inbounded the. They can run the baseline, right? You run the baseline. You still get the same pass off. They call the same timeout. Whatever. Like you're, 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 you're. It's a subjective statement that you're trying to make into a fact, and that's what's annoying me. And that's why I was trying to get across on Twitter was like, not, not a single, not one single play lost in that game, and that's, that's on that same realm. So that's where I was just trying to like. I actually agree. I would put somebody on the ball, but I don't think there. And also, there was people like, oh, every single coach puts somebody on the ball. No, they don't. No, they don't. Adam Jardy, who is, God, God, so good at his job. And immediately, he went to, you know, I know you get the text alerts from him. I do, too. He went to other coaches, college coaches, and said, what do you do in that situation? He did not get a consensus. Some of them said, it's situational. Some of them said, always on ball. Some of them said, always off ball. It is a philosophy. There, You will not get a consensus from, and, and I... I know coaches. I reached out to a couple. I didn't get a consensus. You will never get a consensus on that because it's got it's a philosophy thing. So those are the two points I was just had a problem with was, you know, like I don't even really get engaged the fire Holtman crowd. That's 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 on their own thing. Yeah, but I mean, I can't you can't engage. You can, be, nonsense. you can be you can be critical and say I disagree. This is the I think this is I percent This is a bad decision. I mean, there were multiple things in that game where I was like, and again, I watched the. I watched the condensed game, so I didn't get the full effect. But you know, when I was watching it, there were a few times when I was I was a little curious. There were, with with six minutes left. Yeah, the press um, thing I had more of an issue with than the inbounds thing. Honestly, bingo, bingo, bingo. Um, they didn't they didn't press the entire game, and Ohio State was pretty much cruising. And then with six minutes left in the game, out of nowhere, um, uh, Holtman said that he he it's called a I don't know why it's called a diamond press, but it's called a diamond press. He said, and Ohio State turned it over like three times in under two minutes, but they never called a timeout. See, like I completely disagree with like, I don't know why with a freshman point guard who played 40 minutes against Rutgers and he played 35 minutes against North Carolina. And he's trying to battle with RJ Davis, who 
I was super impressed with. I think he's one of the best point guards in the country. After you Martin see Davis's your- bad games or a lot of players' good games. <laughs> Yeah, he was – and honestly, as I was watching, even though Bruce is a bigger, more muscular guard than R.J. Davis, that's a pretty good comp, honestly, to the type of player he is, um, what R.J. Davis is right now and what Bruce Thornton could be. But anyway, after Bruce turns it over once against the press, it happens again, and that happens again. And they didn't call timeout at any point to, like, gather the, the troops after one after one turnover or two turnovers. They didn't, like, use a timeout, bring it all in, and – coach the guys up and say this is what we're going to do to break that this is what we're going to do it's like those guys just were were tired and exhausted and they didn't have any they could have really used a time out there to regroup and get a game plan just to get it across half court that confused me because that was like a quick i don't remember if it was four or seven points off of those three turnovers but that was a quick four to seven ish points that they got and i thought why would you not use a time out there so it's okay to it's okay to criticize and say I I disagree with I disagree with that choice. Um, I think there are plenty of other times when Chris Holtman has done things that we're not even thinking of, but we're like, oh wow, like the Tanner Holden thing against Rutgers. We're like, okay, that's actually really smart. I really wasn't even thinking about that. Well, that that's my, the shit. That's the shit. My that brain me. can't. My brain. <laughs> I'm like I'm not even thinking that far in advance. And the thing is, if the play hadn't have gone down the way it did against Rutgers, we he probably would not have been asked for an explanation and it just goes it just goes unnoticed so there are plenty of things i'm sure that he does that we don't even see that you're like okay that's a smart play you're but it's still completely fair to criticize and question when somebody does a mistake makes a mistake like that in my opinion but to to say you know this is the final straw they, they need to let him go after this game is just <laughs> i mean it's just kind of goofy well yeah the concept that you're going to fire a coach because of a, a couple specific in-game situations is is hilarious honestly it's hilarious um that's not why you fire coaches anyway um but and and again to your point it was funny because it looked like they played that situation out the press thing like isaac likely was on the floor right if you have a senior or fifth year guard on the floor at that point you probably let him work through that let him kind of take that leadership role like okay bruce give me the ball let me let me work through this with you but ice wasn't on the floor it was just bruce and that's where I think I would have taken the time out talking through that because a freshman point guard and a fifth year senior to very, very, especially, you know, a guy like ice who played in the big 12, right? You played West Virginia, you played Baylor, you played these teams that all they do is press. So uh, that was where, that was another thing where people were like, you know, oh, like if you can't, again, if you can't see where they missed ice likely in this game, like there it is. That's where they missed them right there. Um, so it's tough. I, I think it's just one of those games that, again, hopefully they learn from. If they're making this mistake in February, then you can start having the problems. But I do love the concept of, like, they never win in close games. The Holtman special, I, they won a game nine days ago because of a decision he made. Tanner Holden came into the game. Granted, not to take that shot, but he still took it and he still made it. Like, that is still a coaching decision that got them to that win. So it's like the recency bias and just the, the our short minds, I think, you know, I get it. You want to be North Carolina. It was MSG. It was overtime. It was the atmosphere was great. You know, um, it, you know, it's one of those games you really want to have, but it doesn't really matter. They should have won that game, one hundred percent. There's, there's no, there's no like, doubt about that. They should have won that game. It felt like a football game where you're up seven with like seventeen seconds left, and somehow you let the other team drive it in seventeen seconds, score, go for two, and you're like, 
what wait wait what the hell just happened like what just happened this was this was that's what carolina would do carolina can blitz you like that this this seemed like it was over with and then all of a sudden you lose so that was a game they should have had and it and it it's like it it hurts because not because you lost to a bad team or you got blown out it hurts because there was a point in the game where i think everybody was like okay this one's bad like we're 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 good we're gonna beat north carolina um for the first time in the cbs sports classic ride and hide eight and three and then it was like within a span of like five minutes it's like what the hell just well, happened I, I said this to you and i don't even remember if you answered me but it does feel a little bit like god kind of correcting the course you know because technically probably ohio state probably shouldn't have won the Rutgers game right they did but they probably shouldn't have so then you have this game where they definitely should have but they didn't so it's like ah whatever there's still seven and three you know I don't know. I don't really care about games in December that much. I like these kind of games. If they lose to Maine, we'll have a different discussion. But, you know, these games you learn from, you move on. You're going to have so many opportunities in Big Ten play to get big wins. You're going to play the number one team in the country at home in uh, two weeks. Uh, I don't want to hear nothing about their schedule, home schedule, if if that game isn't completely sold out. Because there's your chance. You want to go see the number one team in the country come to Value City Arena. Go. <laughs> They're going to be there. Did I say, do they play Value City? Where do they play? The shot? What did I say? Yeah. So it, it's, it's called that? Yeah. I call it the shot just because like the nickname sticks, but it's like, it's values. The proper name is like Value City Arena at the Jerome Shot and Scene Center. Like the shot is How am like. I supposed to keep up with this shit. Like, like the, the entire building is considered the shot, but there's like more than just the basketball in there. There's like a bunch of like comp, like areas for meetings and like big giant like conferences and like the, there's like other stuff the shot is used for so that's the shot and center but value city arena is the arena i just call it the shot just call it the okay. shot that's more fun so i wasn't so um, i wasn't wrong technically that's good to know um no, but I it's just one of those things where it's just one of those things where it's like you, you like i said you want to have this game I, I completely understand that but um you know as long as as long as you the big time play is really what's going to determine this team season so and now we're going into it most likely, again, I got to keep saying that at nine and three, which is huge. I thought they were probably going to lose this game, although it seems like our tendency is that I'm usually the pessimist of the two when we make predictions. I just had a, I just had a bad feeling that I was like, this North Carolina team is—they're too good. They're too good to be this bad for this long. I actually predicted them to lose too, but it was—it was a different, completely different, like. Circumstance. I thought Caleb Love was going to have a legacy game kind of deal, and he didn't. But I, I did predict him to lose. What we agreed on was, as it's been all season, Ohio State is going to score enough points in this game to beat North Carolina. Can their defense stop North Carolina from just scoring more points than them? It was, I don't remember what the number was, but I think I said, like, I know Ohio State can score 75 points against North Carolina, but can their defense, can their defense stop North Carolina from just keeping it close? And again, it's happened. It happened in the Duke game, happened in this game. Ohio State has the, the third or fourth highest ranked offense in the country still. They have four guys, maybe five guys now in double digits. They have four guys scoring double digits, and Sean McNeil's at 9.7. Um, they're shooting darn near 50% overall as a team and 37 from three. Like Their offense clicks. It, it, Holtman's offense is for pretty much every season that he's been there has clicked. They have, they're not struggling to score points, even without Malachi Branham, even without EJ Liddell, this offense is, it works and they score enough to win games. Their defense is letting them down repeatedly. And I've had a feeling that if they're going to lose, it's like, can their defense 
stop the North Carolina Hydra with all these different heads of Baycott and Caleb Love and RJ Davis and, and Pete Nance, can they stop all of these guys? I, they couldn't just not quite enough. Yeah. And, and again, like I actually came out of this game feeling better about this team because they looked so good for 37 minutes, you know, 36 minutes, right? They're going to learn how to close these games out. But I mean, these freshmen are so fun. Bruce Thornton struggled a little bit with the press. Other than that, he had 17, five and five. Sends the ball looked like maybe the best score on the floor at times. It was awesome. This was probably just the suing second best game. Dudes had really good individual. A couple guys had really good individual games. Yeah, I mean, this was probably suing second best game behind the the, the Texas Tech game. So it was nice to see him kind of get into a groove. Like I said, Zed Key struggled, but he had a really bad matchup on his hands. Um, Akpar looked good in spurts. He also had a couple bad fouls. So, you know, he he's getting there. He's so close, and he's he's going to be so good. Because he's not like a one and done, or you know, he's going to be here three years. Um, and then you have, you know, I, I don't. Sensabaugh is like pushing that line. He's so good on offense. I don't know if the defense will. I think it's just one of those things where it's like, I think we're gonna when when we're said and when it's said and done, he's probably gonna be like a late first rounder this year. Do you take that or do you come yeah. back and try to make yourself a lottery yeah. pick? Right. Yeah, That's pretty I'm, much what it's gonna come down to. I'm I'm getting as time goes on. I'm getting. I'm starting to get the feeling about Bryce Sensabaugh right now that I got with Malachi Branham in like January. I was like, "Oh man, you you got to slow down, bud. You got to you got to pump the brakes a little bit." Well, Please, like when, I'm begging. When, when like Jonathan Gavini tweets about him, you're like, "Shut, shut up! What are you doing? I need Why you, you to, making this? Yeah, you, shut you, your mouth you, right you, now. I need you. To, you're being way too loud about this, friend of the pod, Bryce, Kevin Sweeney. Bryce, I gotta. I need you to pass the ball off to Bruce a little more. I need you to not yeah. score 22. <laughs> I need you to not score 22 in the CBS Sports Classic in, in front of 27 NBA scouts. I beg. Um, yeah. So it'll. We'll see. Uh, it'll be very fun to watch this team in Big Ten play because outside of Minnesota, who they play once at home, that every game is going to be a dogfight. So even their first game is Northwestern at home, which is going to be a dogfight. So I think, I think that Bryce, on, that's at Northwestern. That's at Northwestern. Wait, it's at Northwestern, yeah, their yeah, first game. But I, that's still that's – still. Uh, I mean, Bryce had a really good game. He looks like a guy that um, – he. Look, I mean, he looks like, like Malachi did a little bit last year. Like not the same player, but like – if you need him to go get 20, he could go get 20, even though he's a freshman. Justice Suing had a really good game. He missed a few free throws. I know people, um, myself included, are frustrated that he, I think he was like one for four from the free throw line. Yeah, one for four, which that can't happen. But overall, still a very good game. 16 points, nine rebounds. Like he got back on track. Bruce Thornton, for the most part, had a pretty good game. It should make you confident that those guys are headed in the right direction offensively. And if all three of those guys are clicking, um, plus, Zed I mean, Key giving you Zed Key giving you ten to twelve a night. Uh, you've got lots of options there. There's a random group of people that think your center, for some reason, is what gets you to the Final Four. It's not. It's your guard play. It's your defense, and it's your coaching. Um, and Bruce Thornton just went up against a Final Four guard and held his own very well. So, as a freshman in December, I'm very confident about that. And I hate to always do this because it's it's you know we did it last year with Dwayne Washington and stuff, but it's like. I can't watch this team without thinking, God, Malachi Brandon would be nice. <laughs> it's a top five team in the country with Malachi Brandon, in my opinion. I mean, if, if Malachi he hadn't puts left. You over that hump. He puts you over that hump. If Malachi hadn't left, the difference would be Sean McNeil would not be on the team. Sean McNeil, exactly. That's, that, that, I completely agree. Sean McNeil wouldn't be on the team. Um, not that I don't like Sean McNeil, but like you would have Bruce Thornton. 
Next to Malachi Branham, next to Justice Suing, yeah. It, With Ice Likely and Zed Key, that's a hell of a five, more than likely. They did talk about Ice quite a bit. I went back and watched the press conference, and I also was in uh, Holtman's media on Monday. I know that people know you run the Bucketheads Twitter usually during the games, um, especially if I'm at the arena, and you said hopefully we'll have him the next game. I'm I'm getting the feeling that he might be a- away for a little while, actually. I'm getting the, yeah, the vibe. It's, well, so he I may, s- may not play for a little bit. It could be wrong. But I'm getting uh, – that's kind of the inclination that I'm getting is that he may actually not be available for a little while. Yeah, it's hard for me to even really figure out what um, is kind of – what the circumstances are. Obviously, you know, first of all, I hope everything's you – know, prayers up to Ice Likely. I know that's a family situation. I hope everything's as good as it could possibly be. You know, I, you know those are always obviously incredibly tough. Um, I, when I said that for the Bucketheads Twitter, it just because with the reporting of it was that he came back to Columbus midweek, but he hadn't practiced. So that was my thinking of like, well, then, okay, he's just going to have a couple of practices to get back in the swing of things. I agree that it doesn't look like it's that simple right now. The good part is like he was still in UNC. Adam Jardy said he was still like leading the team huddles. Like he's still very much a part of the team. Like he's not away from the team or anything. He is still with the team and doing things. So that's the good part. Um, Sounds like- it, it, it seems like we're not going to get much of an update, which we don't need, right? This is a personal f- matter, whatever. Handle that. Um, I, I think we're going to know. It's going to be kind of like a hour before tip off. Oh, I likely he's playing. You know, that's kind of how this is going to be. So it it sounds. And again, this is not um, not reporting or saying that this is what's happening or anything. This is just kind of the what I'm insinuating from what I heard from Holtman Monday and also. Um, as well as from the recorded uh, press conference at MSG, as well as what Adam Jardy was reporting and when he does his podcast, it sounds like maybe um, Isaac had some had some issues he was working through on his own throughout the season. I don't know if it was you know could be depression or anxiety or just anything personal that he's working through. And then it sounds like on top of that, back home in Texas, he's at least one or two, it sounds like personal, like close childhood friends have passed away recently, as well as um, some kind of sickness in the family. So that's kind of what Holtman said was when a when a really emotional person like Isaac is already kind of working through some stuff, and then all of this kind of just hit him at once. It kind of brings everything to the surface that you that you think maybe you were handling well, maybe you were in a good headspace, and you're covering up the things that are bothering you. And then all this stuff comes to the surface out of nowhere. And he just said, you know, he might just need some time because he said, if, and when Isaac comes back, um, you know, I would be totally, totally shocked if he just sat with the team and didn't play for the rest of the season. Yeah. But, I would, I, I wouldn't read too hard into the if and when, just because I think that's just Holtman truly saying like yeah. he's on his own timeline. But I, I, I fully if he plays against him. Maine because he, like you said, he's with the team. If he plays against Maine, like nobody would be shocked. But um, you don't like, like you said, we don't deserve or need or are entitled to any kind of explanation as to I, like Isaac. How long are you going to need to get over, for example, um, anxiety and 
depression may be caused because of the death of a loved one and the death of some friends. Is it two games? Is it three games? Is it four games? When can we expect you back? We don't need that kind of answer. We don't also need to pick apart and say, well, if he's with the team, if he's able to be with the team on the floor at the games, why can't he practice? You don't need yeah, that answer. Just, we, don't need to, we don't need to psychoanalyze everything, right? Just but listen he to may what not they play say. Main, he may not play against uh, Alabama a the next one. I, like, we don't – they need him. They need him a lot. We, but we don't know. And if you want an answer, so do we, but you, we don't you're, need you're, one. You're not going to get one, to be honest. So let's just keep it honest. You're not going to get one until he plays. So – that's just, they've been pretty. Holman's always kept this kind of stuff closer to the vest, and he, that's not going to change now. On the bright side, it does seem like Gene Brown might be back with Maine, so I don't really know where his minutes are going to come, but uh, <laughs> it'll come somewhere. He'll play a little bit, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see that dynamic. I, I, their defense is the part of their game right now that is uh, struggling the most. So I mean, he, he did say Holman did say I don't think we need Gene. I know we need Gene. We need Gene on defense. He's like he said I can stick Gene on a point guard, on a two, mm-hmm. on a three, on a four, probably not in the center, but I can pretty much throw Gene on a one through four, and I know he'll he'll do a fine job on anybody one through four. Um, so he'll probably get he'll probably get some minutes. He might take some Roddy Gale minutes if I had to guess. Um, I really that's another thing about Rod, Roddy Gale. I I really hope that with his minutes not being as much as we thought it would be, I hope that they can hang on to him from year to year because I think he's going to be really good. Agreed. I love Roddy. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he has the potential to be a 18 points a game kind of score with just his natural intangibles. Once he gets used to the speed of the game, the speed of himself, because sometimes he's faster than the game. Once he gets used to all those kinds of things, I think he can he can be as uh, – if, if there's a comp I have, and people are going to shit on me for this, I don't care. Um, in terms of just what I've seen from him, not – what he can be, not his floor or his ceiling. I see a lot of Jaden Ivey, honestly. I don't think he's that good. Oh. I need to preface that. But the way that he plays, the way he can get downhill, the way he can finish, you know, once the jumper comes along, I do see a lot of maybe freshman Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey was a lot further on when he got to Purdue. Nobody's denying that. I mean, Jaden Ivey is currently a very, 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 very good pro. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's Roddy Gale, but – and just in terms of comp and what I can see from him, I, I think that's a decent one. I think Roddy Gale is like 10, 15 pounds and a little bit of a better three-point shot away from being a really, really, really good player. I just I just hope that as the season goes on, if he doesn't get past this like 15 minutes per game mark, I hope that he doesn't you know, pull like a Luther Muhammad and be like, you know, hey, I'm a bucket. <laughs> I can be the bucket somewhere. I'm going to go somewhere else. I hope that even if the minutes don't go at that, don't go up very much. Hopefully, he sticks with it because he just like when you watch him, dude, he just screams like an all-around like crazy athlete. I feel like, like I said, a little more of a consistent jumper, maybe a little bit stronger to be able to get into the paint and get what he wants and not get pushed around a little bit. Um, but man, I I think he could be really good, and when you can stack that class in the next class. That's when you really start getting momentum. Yeah, hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> right now, like if you want a little bit of a reason to be excited, a quick recruiting update: Scotty Middleton plays for Sunrise Christian, as we know. Had him on the pod, friend of the pod, Scotty Middleton. Uh, he's currently pretty much playing about as well as Matisse Bazoulas is on that team, and Matisse is going to the G League next year. So, um, he's definitely the freshman I'm excited for most coming next year. Obviously, still very excited for this team, but uh, I- I'm very excited to see Scotty Middleton 
in the Scarlet and Gray. I was just that's just an update I have because I was keeping up with it this week. And Devin Royal played on ESPN. It looked very good. Yeah, I'm. I think Devin Royal is going to be an absolute problem as a freshman, dude. He's, he's got so much confidence to him too. Like he he'll dunk on someone's yeah. head and he'll let you know about it. It's fun to watch. I keep forgetting how big he already is. Like, yeah, I think he's gonna get does. he he's gonna get bigger once he gets on campus and gets his like four or five months in the weight room before the season starts. Devin Royal's already like six seven two fifteen, and can shoot it a little bit. And like you said, like very, very, very confident. Uh, shoot a lot, shoot a lot of it. For being honest, Michigan State was the other team that he that was really after him. We talked about that back in the summer, and oh my god, I'm so glad that he's not going to be a, a Spartan going against Ohio State twice a year. My goodness, yeah, Devin. Royal, I'm also just I'm also just glad he's not going there because they have a pretty insane recruiting class coming in too. So add him to that, and it would be it would be nuts. Him and Xavier Booker wouldn't be fair. Uh, yeah, Ooh, that had him, that had like Scott Draymond Green and Denzel Valentine vibes to it that I wasn't feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna throw up if that would happen. Uh, and Tayson Chapman, I think, is the highest out of all of them. We're not even yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's the funny him. part. It's like Tayson Chapman's the highest ranked one, and we're having even spoken on him, which is funny. He just kind of got thrown in there at the end. Austin Parks is a big guy who is like truly very good. I think people are doing this weird thing of like, oh, he's not a four. Like he's, I think he's a four star. But he's not a. He's not a. Five star big man, we don't care. You know, like Zach Eady was a three star. These dudes learn. So I think Austin Park is gonna be really good too, honestly. Uh we don't need to preview Maine. We don't need to give you information about Maine, uh, other than not. Ohio State Ohio State plays Maine at eight thirty on Wednesday. They're like number two ninety something in Ken Palm. They did beat Boston College on the road, um, but two of their other five wins were against D two teams. So not a very good basketball team. Uh, better than some of the ones they played early on, but not a very good team. Um, 8.30, it'll be a late tip-off Wednesday night. Do not expect a massive crowd for an 8.30 tip-off against Maine, but they do play Maine. That's probably all the preview you need for Maine. It's funny, though. Like It would be pretty wild to talk about how we just talked about this team. Like, you know, should have beat North Carolina, played great against RJ Davis, Caleb Love, and then they come back and lose to Maine. So I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> be very bad. Very, very, we very would be, bad. We'll be recording an emergency podcast at like 1130 if, if Ohio State loses to Maine. Got anything else? Be good? I, um, I, you know, Ohio State's 7-3, heading into a, basically heading into conference play. I think they've I think they've shown a lot this non-conference. I think they've learned a lot. Now it's time to go win some Big Ten games and uh, see what we can do. Hey, we. Oh, I do want to point out, um, I had a uh, favorite tweet from after the game, which was, it was just funny. This person said, we lost to another good big man. Holtman hasn't been able to figure out how to bring in a good man, a good big man for his six years here yet. And then in parentheses, in the parentheses it said, although I do think Akpar is the answer. So what that tweet said was, what that tweet said was, I don't. He hasn't been able to figure this thing out, but I think he figured it out. <laughs> I saw that because then somebody responded and said, "Somebody, I think somebody replied and said, like, I do really like Akpara. I think he is the solution in a year or two. And the original guy said, "I agree." I, I agree. Like, yeah. I was like, "What was this?" He hasn't figured it out. Thing. Although in parentheses, he's figured it out. <laughs> he can't recruit a big man. He'll never recruit a big man. Hey, I like but that I think big man. recruited a big man. Yeah, but hey, I love that big man that guy.
if you find us on the Land Grant website, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, whatever you use to get your music and podcasts. We are under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. Um, then you'll get a little notification every week when we put out episodes. Uh, and you can follow us at Bucketheads LGHL. Sometimes I get a little mad and tweet at people. Never personal. Obviously, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I do want to point that out. Uh, I try to, I, and I think I was fairly respectful when I was talking, but nevertheless, everyone's obviously entitled to their own opinion. I will also always try to give some type of other, you know, voice that some people have. I tend to, like, and you as well, we both tend to be pretty positive in general. So I think um, that comes off in that as well, because there are some people who only come out when Ohio State loses games, which is always funny to me. But, um, and you can find me at Justin underscore Golba. Um, I'm worse on my personal account, so. I'm just so beat down. It's like the meme with Jesus, and they're like, why are you giving me your worst battles? Like, why are you giving me your toughest battles? It's an Ohio State basketball fan. I'm like, I'm sorry. Last time this team was in the Sweet 16, I had, like, just hit puberty. So, sorry if my expectations have been uh, (laughs) gradually lowered. Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Lamons underscore Connor, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Go Bucks.